This is Space Time, Series 23, Episode 6, for broadcast on the 17th of January, 2020. Coming up on Space Time, evidence for the universe's first stars. NASA's new Planet Hunter finds its first Earth-sized habitable zone world. And new questions about dark energy. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. Astronomers have discovered evidence for the universe's very first stars. Their observations show overlapping bubbles of hydrogen gas that was ionized by these stars just 680 million years after the Big Bang. This is the earliest direct evidence from a period when the very first generations of stars formed and began re-ionizing the hydrogen gas that permeated the universe. The universe began roughly 13.82 billion years ago, and there was a period in this very early universe known as the Cosmic Dark Ages. This Cosmic Dark Ages period began less than half a million years after the Big Bang. It's a period when elementary particles formed in the Big Bang combined to form neutral hydrogen gas and ended with the formation of the first stars. It was ultraviolet light from these very first ever stars which ionized the hydrogen, clearing away the fog and making the universe transparent. This stage of cosmic evolution, known as the Epoch of Reionization, can be simulated using computer modeling, but direct evidence is extremely limited. Now, astronomers using the new firm Infrared Imager on the 4-meter mile telescope on Kitt Peak, Arizona, have imaged three galaxies, collectively known as EGS-77, which actually contain these first stars. EGS-77 was discovered as part of the Cosmic Deep and Wide Narrow Band, or Cosmic Dawn Survey. EGS stands for Extended Growth Strip, a region of space containing over 50,000 galaxies, which was imaged by NASA's Hubble Space Telescope in 2005. One of the study's authors, James Rhodes from NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, says EGS-77 is the first galaxy group caught in the act of clearing out its cosmic fog. The authors began with an imaging survey designed to detect distant so-called high-redshift galaxies and then combined these data with corresponding images taken by Hubble. When electromagnetic radiation, such as visible light, is emitted by an object as it passes through gas, it produces spectral lines at specific wavelengths which correspond to specific atoms, elements and molecules, letting scientists know the chemical composition of the gas. They're caused by electrons of excited atoms or molecules moving between energy levels and then returning back to a ground state. Tests in laboratories have provided scientists with a list of the spectral signatures of all the known elements and molecules. By comparing observed spectral signatures with those on the list, astronomers can determine the chemical composition of distant stars and galaxies simply by looking at their light. Importantly for our study, they can also tell if the object being observed is moving towards us or away from us simply by whether the spectra is Doppler shifted away from its usual position and more towards the blue or red end of the spectrum. See, if the spectra is blue shifted, it means whatever's emitting the light is moving towards us. And if it's red-shifted, it means the emitter is moving away from us. And the degree of that shift tells you how fast the object or emitter is moving towards or away from us, and consequently, how far away it is. 
The expansion of the universe causes wavelengths of light to expand, thereby shifting any chemicals contained in those wavelengths more and more towards the red end of the electromagnetic spectrum. This allowed the authors to compute what's known as the photometric redshift, a proxy for estimating distance. At these redshifts, a galaxy's light is shifted completely out of the visible spectrum and into the longer infrared wavelengths. Rhodes and colleagues imaged a small area in the constellation Booties using special custom-made filters as part of their study. The author's criteria for selecting distant galaxy candidates for better study included a clear detection of them using infrared narrowband filters with NewFirm and a complete non-detection in the shorter wavelength optical filter bands used by Hubble. This allowed them to spot the three galaxies in the EGS-77 group. Intense light from the primordial stars in these galaxies ionized the surrounding hydrogen gas, forming the bubbles that allowed the starlight to travel freely. Eventually, bubbles like these grew around all galaxies filling intergalactic space, clearing away all the fog for light to travel right across the universe, thereby giving us the universe we see today. Once identified, the distances and hence the ages of these EGS-77 galaxies were confirmed with spectra taken from the MOSFIRE spectrograph on the 10-metre Keck-1 telescope on Mauna Kea in Hawaii. And all three galaxies in the group showed strong emission lines, suggesting the light was being emitted by these galaxies when the universe was just 680 million years old. You're listening to Space Time. Coming up next, a third more near-Earth objects detected over the past year. NASA's new Planet Hunter finds its first Earth-sized habitable zone world. And new questions being raised over whether or not dark energy's real. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Okay, time to take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, The Great Courses Plus. It's a new year. Great time to reflect and set some goals for the year ahead. And like you, one of my big goals is to keep learning, finding out as much as I can about the world I live in and the universe around us. And that's where The Great Courses Plus comes in. Whether you want to expand your knowledge on specific topics or discover new interests, The Great Courses Plus has you covered. This brilliant online learning service offers thousands of lectures covering everything from science to business, history to personal development, how to play a musical instrument, even how to cook. The list goes on and there's something for everyone. And in addition to the myriad of topics available, the other important point about The Great Courses Plus is that those topics are being taught by professors and experts from top universities and institutions around the world. And that means it's reliable information you can trust. Now, one of the great courses I've been checking out is The Science of Flight, which has been made in partnership with the Smithsonian Institute. Not only do you get to learn all the ins and outs of flight from the Wright brothers right through to modern space travel, but you get to see it all illustrated with the Smithsonian's wonderful array of flying machines, regarded as truly the best flight museum in the world. This is an absolutely fantastic course. I can fully recommend it, and there's so much to learn. It covers everything from the basics of gliding and aerodynamics through to the importance of powered flight and aircraft design and much more. So if you want to set yourself a great learning goal this year, I can't think of a better way to do that than through a course like the Science of Flight. And learning the Science of Flight is as easy as signing up to the Great Courses Plus today. And as a space-time listener, we're offering a free month's trial with unlimited access to their entire library. 
But to start your free trial, you need to sign up through our special URL. That way they'll know you've come from us and you'll be helping to support our show. So just go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space to sign up for your free month trial today. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash space. And of course, you'll find the URL and all the other details in the show notes and on our website. And now it's back to the show. You're listening to Space Time with Stuart Gary. The European Space Agency says there's been a record-breaking 30% increase in the number of near-Earth objects discovered over the past year. In fact, 2019 saw some 2,370 new NEOs or near-Earth objects detected, 226 of which were discovered during December alone. So that brings the total number of known objects flying close to or crossing Earth's orbit around the Sun to some 21,655 asteroids and 109 comets. More disturbingly, some 996 of these are classified in the high-risk danger list of NEOs. Recent close approaches to Earth have included 2019 YS, 2019 YU2, 2019 YB and 2019YV4, all of which came closer to Earth than the orbit of the Moon during the second half of December. Meanwhile, one of the newly discovered objects has popped up on the high-risk danger list. It's 2019 YX1, a 40-80 metre wide asteroid, which has a 1 in 9,000 chance of slamming into the Earth on December 27, 2081. And that makes it the third most dangerous object detected in the past year. Number one on the, well, dare we say, hit parade is 2019 DS1. It's a 20-50 metre wide asteroid, with a 1 in 700 chance of slamming into the Earth on the 26th of February 2082. And that's closely followed by 2019 LW4. It's somewhat small, some 12 to 26 metres wide, but this space rock still has a 1 in 900 chance of hitting the Earth on June the 8th, 2083. And remember, these are just the ones we know about. You're listening to Space Time. Still to come, is dark energy real? And later in the science report, we'll look at the work generation's love of woo. It seems if you're a Generation Xer, a Gen Y or Gen Z, or even a millennial, you have an unacceptably high chance of being into astrology, psychics, tarot cards, pyramid power, and magic healing crystals. Dear oh dear, all that and more coming up on Space Time. NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite TESS has discovered its first Earth-sized habitable zone planet. The exoplanet, catalogued as TOI-700D, is one of only a few Earth-sized planets so far discovered orbiting within a star's habitable zone. The habitable, or Goldilocks zone, is that region around a star where it's not too hot and not too cold, but just right for liquid water, essential for life as we know it, to pool on a planet's surface. Its host star, TOI-700, is a small, cool, spectral type M red dwarf, located just over 100 light-years away in the southern constellation of Dorado. It is roughly 40% of the Sun's mass and size, and about half its surface temperature. TOI-700D is the outermost of three known planets in the system, and the only one in the habitable zone. It's about 20% larger than Earth and orbits its host star every 37 days, receiving about 86% of the energy from its star as what the Sun provides to Earth. As for the other two planets in the system, well, the innermost planet, the one nearest the star, TOI-700b, is almost exactly the same size as Earth, 
It's probably a rocky world and completes an orbit around the star every 10 days. The middle planet, TOI 700c, is about 2.6 times larger than the Earth, placing it somewhere in size between the Earth and Neptune. It orbits its host star every 16 days and is likely to be a gas-dominated world. Being so close to the host star, all three planets are thought to be tardily locked, which means the same side of each of these planets always faces the star. So one side of the planet has constant daylight, while the other side's in perpetual darkness. TESS monitors large sections of the sky, known as sectors, for 27 days at a time. This long, unceasing stare allows the probe to track any changes in stellar brightness on stars caused by an orbiting planet transiting or crossing in front of its host star, as seen from TESS's perspective. Once detected, the Earth-sized planet's status was confirmed using NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope. Confirming the planet's size, and that it really is in the habitable zone, is another win for Spitzer as it approaches the end of its science operations. Paul Hertz from NASA Astrophysics says TESS was specifically designed to find Earth-sized planets orbiting nearby stars. The whole idea is that planets orbiting nearby stars are easier to follow up with larger telescopes. But there's an interesting story around this system. See, the star was originally misclassified in the TESS database as being one more similar to the Sun, and that implied that the planets orbiting it were larger and hotter than they really are. Luckily, researchers identified the error, and when they correlated for the star's new parameters, the sizes of the planets dropped, and they realized that the outermost planet was actually about the same size as Earth, and that it was indeed in the star's habitable zone. Another important point in this discovery is that the authors didn't detect any stellar flares erupting from the star during 11 months of monitoring. And that improves the chances of TOI 700D being habitable, as it makes it easier for a useful atmosphere to develop on the planet without it being irradiated or blown away. Because TOI 700 is bright, nearby and shows no signs of stellar flares, the system's a prime candidate for precise mass measurements using ground-based observatories. Future missions may also be able to identify whether the planets orbiting it have atmospheres, and if so, even determine their compositions. You're listening to Space Time. A new study is raising questions about the existence of dark energy, that hypothetical force used to explain the accelerating expansion of our universe. The most direct and strongest evidence for an accelerating universe, and consequently the need for some sort of force working opposite to gravity, be it called dark energy, vacuum energy, the cosmological constant or even anti-gravity, is provided by cosmic distance measurements using a type of exploding star known as a thermonuclear or Type 1a supernova. Type 1a supernovae are caused by the explosive death of low-mass stars when they reach a specific mass, about 1.44 times that of the Sun. And because they all have a similar mass when they go supernova, they all should generate about the same amount of brightness when they explode. By seeing how bright the supernova looks, and knowing exactly how intrinsically bright it really is, astronomers can use the inverse square law to determine exactly how far away the supernova is, and therefore the distance to the galaxy it's in. But all this is based on the assumption that the intrinsic brightness of these supernovae hasn't actually changed over time. The new observations, reported in the Astrophysical Journal, suggest that this key assumption could be an error. The authors reached their conclusions by undertaking extremely accurate spectroscopic observations of most of the reported nearby early-type host galaxies containing Type 1a supernovae. 
This provided them with the most direct and reliable measurements of population ages for these host galaxies. And they found something surprising, a strong correlation between supernova luminosity and stellar population age. Since supernova progenitors in host galaxies are getting younger with redshift or look-back time, the findings suggest a systematic bias in redshift in supernova cosmology. Taken at face value, the authors claim the luminosity evolution of supernovae is significant enough to question the very existence of dark energy. The authors found that when the luminosity evolution of supernovae is properly taken into account, the evidence for the existence of dark energy goes away. The study's lead author, Professor Yongbuk Lee from Yonsei University in Seoul, quoted the great Professor Carl Sagan, saying extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. He says he's not entirely sure that science has the extraordinary evidence needed to support the idea of dark energy, which he suggests may instead simply be an artifact of a fragile and false assumption. However, it's worth remembering that other cosmological probes, such as the cosmic microwave background radiation and baryonic acoustic oscillations, do support the existence of dark energy. In fact, the very idea of a dark energy force isn't new. It was first invented by Albert Einstein. You see, like most scientists of his day, Einstein assumed the universe was stable and everything in it was in balance, just as it should be. The trouble is, his own equations show that in such a universe, gravity would have been the dominating force crushing everything together. To counter this and to return the universe to a steady state, Einstein made up an expansion force to counter gravity, which he called the cosmological constant. Of course, later the great professor found the universe really was expanding. This forced Einstein to tear up his cosmological constant, describing it all as his greatest mistake. The recent discovery that space-time really is expanding at an ever-accelerating rate has once again resurrected the idea of some sort of cosmological constant. And understanding all this is important for understanding the ultimate fate of the universe. If science's understanding of dark energy is correct, it means the universe is heading towards a big freeze in which all the galaxies will eventually expand away from each other until, in the end, only our own local galactic group will remain together in what will look like a very cold, black, empty universe. But it doesn't end there. You see, if dark energy is a little bit more force than we think, it becomes a phantom energy, which could see forces involved increase so much that it would ultimately lead to what scientists are calling a big rip. A big rip would see the expansion of space-time occur not just on the cosmic scales of relativity theory, but also on the subatomic scales of quantum mechanics. In other words, ultimately, phantom energy would rip apart atoms, tearing them into their constituent protons, neutrons and electrons, and possibly even overcoming gluons to rip off quarks. Hence the term Big Rip. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study says climate change may be responsible for the mass death of puffins in the Bering Sea. A report in the journal PLOS One says the carcasses of more than 350 emaciated puffins have been found off the coast of Alaska, suggesting the birds' food web has changed so much that they're starving to death. The birds were discovered shortly after a shift in the distribution of plankton. Puffins feed on fish and invertebrates, which in turn would have fed on the plankton. Scientists say it's highly likely that increasing ocean temperatures and decreasing sea ice, all due to climate change, have shifted some species further north, upsetting the delicate marine food web. 
A new study says the amount of time two- and three-year-olds spend watching screens has been shown to be directly associated with their mother's screen time. The findings reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association indicate that around 80% of two-year-olds and some 95% of three-year-olds fail to meet screen time guidelines. Researchers looked for factors that might be linked to not meeting guidelines and found that mothers whose screen time exceeded 14 hours per week were more likely to have kids that didn't meet screen time guidelines. Among two-year-olds, kids were also less likely to meet guidelines if they were being cared for at home compared to childcare. A second study, which tracked toddlers' screen use over time, found that the amount of screen exposure an eight-year-old was having was directly linked with habits set at a much earlier age. Well, a new study claims you might be able to avoid piling on all those extra pounds simply by switching just half your daily servings of junk food with nuts. The findings reported in the British Medical Journal are based on 20 years of data on weight, diet and physical activity from some 300,000 people. The scientists found that on average, people gained around a third of a kilo every year. But substituting half a serving of junk food with nuts was linked to people gaining around half a kilo less over a four-year period, although it must be pointed out consuming peanut butter didn't have the same effect. It means they were still putting on weight, but not nearly as much as they would have otherwise. Scientists say that while the results are interesting, they didn't actually show that eating more nuts caused a reduction in weight gain. And it's important to point out that this study was funded by the Peanut Institution and the California Walnut Commission. There's growing evidence that China could be behind Havana Syndrome, a set of medical symptoms experienced by United States and Canadian embassy staff in Cuba and then in China between 2016 and 2018. Victims typically reported suddenly hearing strange grating noises that seemed to be coming from just one specific direction, and then experiencing it as a pressure of vibration, eventually triggering headaches, dizziness, hearing loss, memory loss, and nausea. Subsequent medical examinations of the victims discovered that some brain injuries similar to suffering a concussion had occurred. Later recordings picked up unusual infrasound waves during these events. Now, infrasound involves sound waves lower than 20 hertz, which are inaudible to humans. The incident sparked speculation that these attacks were targeting diplomats using some sort of acoustic weapon. However, others claimed it was more likely to have been some sort of mass hysteria illness, exposure to neurotoxins from earlier fumigation works, feedback from faulty secret listening devices planted by enemy operatives, or even the chirps of either Indie short-tailed or Jamaican field crickets. Interestingly, Russia had previously undertaken acoustic attacks against US embassy staff in Moscow, and Cuba is of course a long-time ally of Russia. However, that attack used pulsed radio frequency microwave radiation, which is ultrasound, not infrasound. Ultrasound uses frequencies over 20,000 Hz, which are also inaudible to humans. But it's now been revealed that the Chinese Academy of Sciences has developed a new sonic gun that uses focused infrasound waves designed to cause extreme discomfort and physical distress. It works by generating vibrations in the eardrums, eyeballs, stomach, liver and brain. Infrasound's effects on the human inner ear include vertigo, imbalance, intolerable sensations, incapacitation, disorientation, nausea, vomiting, bowel spasms, and resonances in inner organs, such as the heart. The Bayeux Tapestry, which depicts events leading up to the Norman conquest of England in 1066, is perhaps the most famous embroiderer in the world. But its exact origins have been shrouded in the fog of time. 
Now, British researchers have added to the debate over its origins by showing that it was indeed designed specifically to fit in an area of the Bear Cathedral, rather than in some great hall in England or some other cathedral in France. By studying the cathedral's surviving architectural features and data on medieval cloth sizes, the researchers were able to show that the tapestry would have fitted five bays of the nave, with the artwork's narrative deliberately structured in relation to specific doorways and architectural supports. The research, reported in the journal of the British Archaeological Association, also suggests how the tapestry should be displayed when it leaves France this year for the first time in 950 years. A new study has found that New Age thinking, things like magic crystals, fortune tellers, pyramid power, healing stones, astrology, psychics and mediums, are growing in popularity among millennials and Gen Xers. The findings, reported in a study by Yahoo Finance, claims the burgeoning psychic services industry has grown 53% since 2005 and is now valued in excess of $2 billion, with annual growth now at around 0.9%. That means revenue from Wu is expected to reach $2.3 billion by 2024. Previous surveys have found that 41% of Americans really do believe in extrasensory perception, 26% believe in clairvoyance, and 31% believe in telepathy or psychic communication. Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptic says about 15% of Americans have consulted a psychic or fortune teller, with females twice as likely to visit one, compared to men. This is a study done by Yahoo Finance in the US. So it really applies to the US market, but as various market surveys have done, the psychic business in the US is worth about $2 billion and it's growing. And some of people are suggesting that it's growing quite dramatically at 4 or 5% a year or even more. The issue is why is it growing and who is doing it? The suggestion is that as people have a less of a following for formal religions and they tend to be more open to what used to be called new age stuff but it's psychics and astrology and that sort of thing and the group that is turning away from religion and therefore potentially to other areas are the young people millennials gen x's presumably gen y's as well in the middle there and the u.s survey says that about 35 percent of millennials don't have a organized religion so that market is growing now the strongest states in America are apparently uh, Florida, California, New York, and Texas. No surprises uh, there, other than Texas. Yeah, I know, Texas. Texas actually has a very strong skeptical community too. Yeah. So maybe it's in conflict there. But yeah, I'm not quite sure why Florida, which has an older population generally, but it's uh, it's interesting. California and New York, you'd almost expect it. This is the assumption of Yahoo Finance that uh, because it's growing, where is it growing? And they suggest that it's sort of people who you either follow religion or you follow sort of uh, psychics and astrology. I would like to suggest that you don't have to follow either. Yeah, what about following uh, science? Following science, following you know, what seems to be true, that's that's uh, not that popular, unfortunately, apparently. Yeah, I must admit, among the work generation, truth is well down there. Yeah, and unfortunately, truth is not uh, egocentric. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. And that's the show for now. You can subscribe and download Space Time as a free twice-weekly podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Bytes.com, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, YouTube, Audioboom, from SpaceTimeWithStuartGary.com, or from your favourite podcast download provider. If you want more Space Time, check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as loads of images, news stories, videos, and things on the web that I find interesting or amusing. Just go to SpaceTimeWithStuartGary.tumblr.com. That's all one word and in lowercase, and that's Tumblr without the E. 
You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, on Facebook, just go to www.facebook.com slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And you can also find us on the Spacetime with Stuart Gary YouTube channel. Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 